0: as Rick mentioned, my name is Scott Reebley, and I'm one of the pastors of New Life Church, and I'm very happy to be with you here this morning. It is always a treat for me to come back uh, to Wilsonville and spend some time with you. I wonder if you have ever really thought about what it means to be part of a church. Is it just part of a habit, part of a lifestyle, part of something that uh, you have done all your life, maybe, and never really thought about, why are you part of this church and not the one down the road? Why, Why one church and not another? I think it's easy to explain why you're not part of First Baptist Church, Eugene, Because uh, one of the criteria must be, then, proximity, right? I mean, it must have to be somewhat close to you. Well, what else? What else, then? I imagine you should say belief or doctrine or uh, the Scripture, something like that. But really, in all fairness, I drove by several churches on my way to get here three or four of which had doctrinal statements that I would say are, well, close enough, right? I mean, I like the one we have, so I'm not going to compromise that, but they were pretty close anyway. There are a lot of people who uh, choose churches because because of the show that they put on on a Sunday morning. Now, that may sound pejorative, but, you know, some go with some soft music with liturgy and reverence. Others go for rock and roll music with worship leaders who bounce around on stage who are partially hidden by a smoke machine. What is it, then, that makes somebody choose one church over another? I think, that, I think that reason actually probably concerns me as much as any because people often will pick a church where they can be a spectator instead of a participator, where they can be part of the crowd instead of part of the contributors. Too often people pick churches like they pick radio stations. And granted, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm in the business but I think there's got to be something more. There's got to be a better reason why someone would be part of one church and not another. Well, there is, and that's what we're talking about in this uh, uh, this five-week series that we have going called "My Tribe," because the name of the series hints at the underlying assumptions, namely that people are the church, the production's not the church. The program's not the church. The performance isn't the church. The church is the people. The church is my tribe. In other words, one of the things that you choose when you choose a church is you choose the people that you will walk through life with, that you will trust in uh, Jesus alongside. Every year as we begin a new school year, We try and remind the church about why we do what we do. And most of the time we review our mission statement, which says that our mission is to engage people who are disconnected from God so they delight themselves in Him through Jesus. But this year, instead of solely reminding people of our mission, I want to remind you about what it is that makes a church a church. People committed to the Lord and committed to each other. And that is what is expressed in our church covenant. Our church covenant is simply our attempt to put into writing what we think the New Testament invites every believer to become. There is an invitation here that whether you belong to this church or another, you you have to come to grips with the fact that the church is the people. My part of our church covenant deals with church involvement, being engaged with the church itself. Now, I will say that I was on vacation when they passed out, you know, the assignments and I got the last one, the the short straw, you might say. I think it's a good one, but uh, nonetheless, Travis did that to me. Well, here is what the church covenant says about church involvement. It says, on the basis that we serve a covenant making, covenant keeping God, we joyfully and resolutely enter into covenant community with one another. We promise by God's grace and through the indwelling presence of His Spirit. Okay, and here is the part that. Uh, we're focusing on this morning. We promise to care for and promote both the purposes and unity of God's church through regular attendance, corporate and private prayer, ministerial service, financial giving, and by submitting to its spiritual authority. There are a number of pieces layered in there there's purpose and unity, attendance, prayer, service, giving, uh, submission. But rather than spend the time in the church covenant, it would be best probably for us to open the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about engaging with uh, a local church. So, turning your Bible, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll begin in verse 11. But Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 suggests the church will only succeed if every person does his or her part. It suggests that the church is on a journey to be like Jesus, and we only get there as everybody does their part. So, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 uh, reads this way, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, God loves the church, and He has placed people in it to help grow it up together. God loves the church, and probably more specifically, He's placed you in it to help the other people grow up into Christ. And so the first thing I want you to notice from this passage in Ephesians is that God's aim is the maturity of the church. God has a target or a destination for the church. There is one thing that is certain. God in no way views the church as a club to join, or an association that you pay dues to. He sees it in a much more organic and living way. Notice the language that he uses about the church. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That the, the church is going to function like it is with every part doing its work until so there's, it's temporary, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are on a journey. there is a destination. That destination is the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, maturity and the stature of the fullness. Christ. To say it another way, the church is in process, in process toward likeness to Jesus. So, whatever is happening in a church needs to be all of us moving together to become like Jesus, to help one another Become like Jesus. Look again. He says it again in verse fifteen. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So, what God envisions happening here this morning is that we are all together growing up into Christ. Our corporate union with Christ, our corporate correspondence to Christ, is the goal of the church. So, building the church up and having it look like Jesus is what God thinks we're doing here this morning. And I think this is more of a qualitative thing than it is a quantitative thing. In other words, it's not, hey, let's make the church bigger. I don't think that's what's here. I think what's here is, hey, let's make the church better so that we're Making the church more like Jesus, that's what God's after. So that the church is better and it reflects the character of Jesus to one another and to the world. What this means, what this means though, is that God is not the God of the status quo. So the way we are today, we're not far enough along that journey. We we better be farther next week and the week after that, and a year from now. In other words, God is not just the God who leaves you like you are. Rather, He's the God who sees what you can become, what we together can become. God is not the God of the way things used to be, but God is the God of the future. God is the God of what the church will be when it is what He wants it to be. So you need to know that God has a destination in mind. He has a goal in mind for us. Namely, that we together will reflect to one another and to the world the person of Jesus. The next thing I want you to notice in this text is that the way that happens is that every person plays a part. God is very intentional about every person doing part of the job of making the church like Jesus. Again, notice verse 13. He says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Until we all attain. So, if you look around the room and you look at this verse... What person gets to sit this one out? What person gets to take the day off? You look around the room, nobody does. This is <laughs> back in the day. We used to call this an all-skate. Okay? put You strap, strap the roller skates on, and this is an all-skate. Everybody out on the floor. That's what he's after. Everybody out on the floor. Everybody. Is part of this till so we all attain. This is not for some to attain, for those who are really committed or for those who are willing to go deep. This is not for those. This is for everybody. Everybody needs to attain to the unity of the faith, everybody has a stake in the Christ likeness of the church. We see the same thing again at the end of the passage in verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The whole part, every joint, each part. Every joint does its part unity is the responsibility of every person, of every joint. We're held together because of what you do. I I think the converse is probably true also. We are torn apart by what individuals do. And so here he says everybody, every joint, every single small piece needs to do its part. Well, I... You know this probably about me. I am currently in possession of a body where certain parts have decided to quit functioning. In fact, I was looking at this. I was looking at this stage, and remembering the last time I was here, I had I had to like strategize how I was going to get up here because I was in such bad shape because my. Um, my, my leg had been hurt, and I, I might have even been on crutches when I was there, I don't remember, but um, I missed it when it wasn't working. Uh, I That wasn't my first knee problem. My first knee problem was that I had an anterior cruciate ligament that just decided to be finished, and it's about the size of my pinky, and... Um, I've had eight surgeries on that knee since then. And the whole rest of me now is out of whack trying to compensate for what that one little part isn't doing. And you don't need to have as many knee surgeries as I've had to know that, that if one little part is off, that it can ruin your whole day. All you need to do is stub your toe in the dark. And you realize... What a difference one small member can make. Because I think that we think that there are certain important people or certain important jobs or certain important things that that must happen. But the reality is every one of us, no matter how small you think your part is, we make a difference. some of you, some of you have had back trouble and you've got a disc that bulges and that, I mean, that disc is just tiny and yet you know it's there and you really wish that it was 100%. And the size of it is disproportionate to the amount of pain that it causes. And the same can be really true of people. The same thing happens in the body of Christ. When one part is not functioning and others try and compensate, the pain can be significant. And the function is really not that great. I mean, this. let me just give you some examples from the past couple weeks. Uh, I had somebody uh, call me actually about repairing the uh, air conditioner here. And, first of all, it was, it was a church member who is volunteering to r- repair the air conditioner. I'm just going to say, if that particular part wasn't working, there'd be no air conditioning, because I'm certainly not fixing it. Because everybody has a part, right? That's the thing that, that's the, that's the thing that we need to know, that I love people who do different things than me. We're naturally wired to love the people that are sort of the same as us. But you got to realize it's the people who are different from us that really make the whole thing work. Uh, a week ago or so, I went to a Johnny's and Friends uh, camp for families with disabilities. And uh, several people from our church were serving there. And I... I walked up, uh, uh, it was sort of pastor's day, so I was supposed to go, right? And I walked up, and I became instantly nervous about what I was going to encounter there. And, I, and my, my nerves were well-founded. I probably would have lasted maybe 15 minutes as a volunteer there. But God had equipped these people from our church to play a part that I couldn't play that was so incredibly precious and so beautiful and so encouraging to me, such a blessing to me to go watch them in action doing what God had placed on their heart to do that was so out of what I have ever uh, thought about doing that it was just beautiful. And in order for the body of Christ to do what the body of Christ was supposed to do, they had to play their part. I had somebody stop by my office. um, And they stopped by my office. They may or may not have heard me complain. Uh, I've probably done more than my share recently. And they stopped by my office just to encourage me. In fact, that's, she, knock, 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 announced her, announced her uh, presence by, hi, I came up just to encourage you. And I thought, first of all, who does that? Second of all, that's not formal church ministry. That's n- we don't have a program for that. There never will be a program for that. Because it's so beautiful, you can't programatize it. It's the work of the ministry that it talks about here in Ephesians 4. That somebody else is, somebody is helping another person stay in the game. That is a big job. And that is a big job, uh, I think, especially now. And every part has to function like that for us to keep going. I had a couple people who heard this message uh, who um, heard me talking about every part doing its work and they felt guilty. Because, well, I'm not doing enough. This is not about doing enough. It's about doing what you can. It's about doing your thing. And these people who felt guilty were functioning at their limit. They were behind the scenes. They were praying for people. They were calling people. They were writing cards. They were meeting with people. They were caring for people. And so when I say everybody needs to do their part, I'm not saying you should feel guilty about not being part of this program or that program. I'm saying, show up. Let the Spirit of God lead you to love other people. And that is what builds the church up. You are a gift to other people. And you are indispensable. That's the message of this text. And if you decide to check out, we all lose. The third thing I want you to notice here about this text is that God has given the church a catalyst for this kind of life, this life where everybody contributes, that where everybody moves toward likeness to Jesus. And those catalysts, he says, are, evangelists, are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers in verse 11. and they are given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so, the work of the ministry is the work that God's people do, not the work that the pastors do. In fact, there are some places, there are some places where they call the pastor the minister. Okay, we, we don't do that here because uh, the minister is every. I'm looking at the ministers because the work of the ministry happens when everybody does it, not just because the clergy do it. <laughs> oh, I had. You know, we, we're doing this rotation, sort of right? I've given this message two or three times, and, and the things that people say afterwards. I, I had somebody, first time at church, first time stopped me at the door, said, you must be the minister. I don't think this is so much talking about a division of labor as it is the fact that Jesus is the chief shepherd of His flock and He's designated other people to help, to encourage, to train, to recruit, to coach, and to deploy people in this ministry. Because everyone is engaged in God's kingdom-bringing mission, there are some who, who are um, uh, catalysts for it. Now, I, I think it's probably worth acknowledging part of our covenant does s- talk about submission to spiritual leadership. And so, it's probably worth talking about that since that's part of the covenant. In this last year, I will admit, has been more difficult than most with respect to the need for submission. It's been, it's been far harder for me to submit this past year than um, it has before. And the leaders have had to submit, and so has the church. And I will say that really you have been wonderful about this. The church has been really, really good. There have been some who have made it a little bit difficult, but on the whole, the church has been really, really good. But when it talks about giving some as shepherds and teachers, that God has placed some there in a response, given them the responsibility of leadership and authority, and the rest of the church a responsibility of submission, it is worth talking about because we, we somehow think that uh, submission to authority implies that authority has the, the um, green light to do something crazy. And everybody has to go along with something crazy. That somehow there is this overbearing, abusive permission for church leaders, and there isn't. There is nothing in the Bible that suggests that that is true. Overbearing, abusive, sinful leadership is not part of God's plan for the church, nor is it something that you should submit to. God's plan for leadership is that there are humble servant leaders who do the best that they can to try and follow the leadership of the chief shepherd, so that together we all do our best to follow him. And when they do their best and the church submits to them, then we all do our best together. And that really is the best that we can do. That, I think, is the way that he sees us working together. And there is a place. You need to know there is a place, though, for authoritative teaching because it seems that the biggest problem here, if you look in verses 13 and 14, is that people are driven and tossed by the wind with with cunning craftiness and deceitful scheming and these bad ideas. There are bad ideas that keep us from becoming like Jesus. And I think God wants those addressed. God doesn't just want those addressed from here, though. God wants those addressed from all of you, to address them with others of you. Because, you see that in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. This is not just for those who somehow have a platform. This is for all of us speaking the truth in love, all of us speaking to one another so that each part does its share of speaking the truth. And so, I think God's intent is for us to, to not buy into those ideas that keep us divided, those ideas that keep us uh, at one another, or keep us from growing to be like Jesus. Well, the final thing that I want you to see in this text is, um, is simply how much love is involved. And really, if you're going to look at how much love is involved, just, just look back a little ways to chapter 3. In verse 19, there is a prayer that says, that prays that we may all come to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And so, whatever conversation about what the church is supposed to be doing, it starts with prayer about love, about what it means to be loved by Christ. May all of you know what you can't really know. May you all know what is so good that you'll never fully know it, namely, the love of Christ. Then, in chapter 4, verse 3, and we read it earlier, we bear with one another in love. I mean, the the whole idea, the whole idea just sort of smacks of an opportunity, doesn't it? An opportunity to go one way or the other. When you have to bear with people, that's because (laughs) they're hard to bear with. That's the only reason he'd talk about that. If if everyone was, you know, got along and everyone was easy to be around and everyone did everything the same and saw it all the same, it'd be super easy and we wouldn't need love. But he wants us to know that really this is about love because you have a Savior who loves you and you are growing up into love. Then in verse 7, we see the victorious Christ giving gifts to His church, giving gifts to His church. That's what you do for people you love. We had, just last Sunday, I had a a grandson born, and uh, it was funny. Somehow, automatically, apart from anything he did, he just sort of sits there people would bring Him gifts, like here, welcome, we love you, we're glad you're here. And guess what? That's what Jesus does to His church. Apart from anything we do, He just says, hey, I love you, here's some gifts. Then you have in verse 15, the church speaking to one another in love, the church loving one another enough to tell each other the truth. And then in verse 19, see, it shows up over and over and over. I just have to have to acknowledge it. The final word in the passage itself is love. Building yourself up in love. The act of pitching in in contributing whatever you can, no matter how big or small, the act of doing that is an act of love. The act of coming alongside someone and keeping them in the game or encouraging them or instructing them or telling the truth in love or just being there with them while they suffer is an act of love. And that That is an atmosphere that I think God wants to bathe the church with, that we do all of this. However humble, however inadequate, whatever it is, we do it as an act of love, as a response to the love of Jesus, as a way of passing the love of Jesus on to other people that he loves. So, if you look at Ephesians 4, it's probably more clear there than it is in our church covenant, I will say, that God intends the church to thrive because everybody plays a part. Sometimes the part that you play is a great part, and sometimes it's a hard part. Sometimes it's rewarding, and sometimes it's frustrating. The church thrives when it becomes like Jesus. And it becomes like Jesus when every joint, every part does its job. Your role is different. The things that you like to do and are good at is different than things that I like to do and am good at. And that is great. It doesn't make it easier, but it's great. And so, the church will only become what God wants it to be when each one of us listen to the Holy Spirit and act out of love for the others in the church. Let's leave it there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would, in your kindness, help us to see what it is you want us to do. Father, we each, we trust your word that we each have a part to play. Would you help us to play it? Even right after the service, even this week, would Your Spirit lead us that we might express Your love to somebody else, that we might, together with them, grow up to be like Jesus. And so, I ask this in His name for our good and for Your glory.